Let's dig into some scripture this morning. We'll be in Mark chapter 10, a couple other places, but mainly Mark chapter 10 will be our primary verse today. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I want to learn that we are blessed to be a blessing this morning. We are, we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing is what we want to walk away with today. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 14. How many of you remember kindergarten? I know for some of us that was a long time ago. Some of us that was a long, and no, I'm just kidding. All right? How many of you remember kindergarten? It was a pretty fun time, right? I can remember, I can remember my kindergarten teacher. Um, she had a son that was a year older than me, and so we knew each other. And I, can, I can't remember a single thing she taught me education-wise, but I can remember how she made me feel. I can remember how special that time was. Um, I can remember kindergarten, and I thought about that as we were getting ready for this week and everything, and, and I read this quote. A guy named uh, Robert Fulgram wrote in the Kansas City Times years back that the most important things he learned about life he learned in kindergarten, not his graduate classes, not, his, not, not getting his master's degree, not graduate school, but kindergarten. And the quote was this, these are the things I learned, share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess, don't take things that aren't yours, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody, and when you go out into the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. I think I learned all those things in kindergarten, and I think those are important things to learn. It's amazing the simplicity of the way a child can approach things and learn things and come after things. That applies as we dig into this scripture today. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Some people were bringing little children to him so he might touch them, but his disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, Whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and as always, as we always, as I always pray on, on, on Sunday mornings, God, would you speak to me and through me this morning, God? Give, give me words for all of us. Lord, I pray that we all have receptive, soft hearts this morning ears that are open and want to hear your words, God. I pray that we don't let knowledge puff us up and that we let the continual exposure to your word harden our hearts, God, but that we are ready to hear what you have for us to hear this morning, God, and that I'm ready and willing and obedient to say what you have for me to say this morning, God. We thank you and we love you and we pray for those that are here this morning that are saved to be revived, to be revived this morning, God, to be full of your spirit, and for anyone that doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, God, that today would be the day that they repent of their sin and place their faith in you, a loving, capable Savior that will take away their sin and give them the gift of eternal life. May we celebrate that and be thankful for that this morning. May we worship you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So it says, people were bringing the kids to Jesus. The word used here in Mark could be 
toddlers to about 12 years old. Uh, the word used in Luke when telling this same story means babies. Okay, is that a contradiction? No, it's two observations from two different people talking about the same thing. So it's babies all the way up to 12-year-olds. In other words, all the little kids were being brought to Jesus. This is the time when his personal uh, ministry had grown, and there were people hanging on his coattails all the time. The, the, the story of this dude that could take away sin, that could take away demons, that could heal the sick, that could heal the lepers, this, the, 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 the news was spreading, and people just wanted to bring their kids to him for him to touch them and to bless them and to, and to hopefully perform some type of miracle for him. Now, this was a common custom to bring your children to the local rabbi to receive a blessing. There's power in a blessed word. There's power in laying hands on someone and speaking a prophetic, positive, encouraging, kind word over someone. There's power in that. So why, if this was a normal thing, why did the disciples rebuke them? That's not like a kind of like like a weak word that's a strong word they rebuked them it's not like hey you know take it easy it's like you know rebuke that's what i think when i hear the word rebuke they rebuked them and when jesus saw it he was indignant now there's a word that you've probably not used in your common vernacular in quite some time you probably haven't said i'm so indignant right now we probably haven't said that in a while, but we know what that word means. Even if you've never heard it, like the word just says it, doesn't it? He was indignant. When Jesus saw that his disciples were keeping the kids from coming to him, he was indignant. Anakteo is how it's said in the Greek, to be indignant, moved with indignation, to be very displeased. Same, same meaning, right? In the, in the King James, that's what it says. He was very displeased he was indignant he was mad is how you might say it Jesus was mad does that does that go with the picture that you have of Jesus all the time we put him in this cute little meek and mild box sometimes Jesus was mad he was mad here this word is used uh, seven times in the New Testament this word onocteo the first time uh, is in Luke the leader of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. What a thing to be indignant about. Three times it's used in Matthew. When James and John wanted to be at the right hand of Jesus in heaven. The word indignant about the other disciples was used. They were indignant with the two that were trying to be the favorites. Uh, the chief priests were anakteo when Jesus entered Jerusalem. And the people and the children shouted in the temple complex. Hosanna, son of David. Or save us, Savior, Son of David. The, the chief priests were anakteo. They were indignant. When the woman anointed Jesus' head with the alabaster jar of expensive perfume, the disciples were indignant or anakteo at the waist. And then three times it's used in Mark. Two times like it was in Matthew. James and John, that deal, and the perfume deal. And then here where we're looking at it. Here where Jesus is the, is the one that is highly upset. All the other times it was other people. But right here, Jesus is mad, mad. He ain't just mad. He's mad, mad. He's, he's not kind of mad. He's not, you know, like we lie to ourselves. I'm not really mad. I'm frustrated. You're mad. 
Just say you're mad. Why do, you, why do we do that? Why do we downplay our emotions? It's okay. Sometimes we're mad. Sometimes we're mad for the right reasons. Sometimes we're not. We shouldn't be mad for the wrong reasons, but it's okay to be mad for the right reasons. So this is the only time recorded in Scripture where Jesus was indignant. He was very displeased. I think that would be something that we might want to take note of. If Jesus was very displeased about something, we might want to know what that was. So he's mad. He's indignant. This is the modern equivalent of being in a situation and going, oh, you've got to be kidding me. That's what I think Jesus was like. I, I don't know for sure, but if I'm indignant, that's probably what I would say about something. He's mad. And he says, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will enter it if they do the right things. Is that what it says? We'll enter it if they, if they check off all the boxes. If you, don't enter, if you don't come to me like a little child, if you don't come to me like one of these little ones, but as long as you do this, then you can enter the kingdom. Is that what it says? Okay, we're awake. Good deal. All right. Is that what it says? What does it say, John? It says never. Now, John's a lawyer. He notices words. Words matter. It says we'll never enter it. That's a strong statement, too. Notice the double command at the beginning of this. He doesn't, just say, he doesn't just say, don't stop them or let them come to me. He says both. Let them come to me and don't stop them. He's making it very clear. You have messed up, dudes. You've been hanging with me every single day, and you still don't get it. If you've ever led a group of people, you know what that feels like. <laughs> let them come and don't get in their way. Hey, guys, we've talked about this. Like, stop it and stop it. Move. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Or the kingdom of God, the wording, or the kingdom of God exists for people like this. The word there that, that's used for belongs is, is, like, is like our word for like I am or he is. It's like something exists. It is. It, 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 it was. It is. It, it exists. It is the thing. The kingdom of God exists for people like this. This is what it's all about. Jesus is trying to get them to understand. Childlike trust. Childlike dependence. That's what it's about. You numbskulls. He surely was thinking. And he says, I assure you. Now, if we were reading that in the Greek, we would recognize that word there. It's amen. 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 Let go. Amen, let go is what he says. I assure you, amen used at the beginning of a statement is, is truly or verily, or, or we might say today, listen, trust me on this. Trust me as I say this. I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Never enter it. Hmm. Okay. What does that mean? If, if Jesus makes a statement like that, if you don't do this, then you cannot be in my kingdom, never enter it, then I want to know what the heck that's talking about. What are we talking about when we say you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you do this? Like, that's something we might want to know. We, so we want to enter the kingdom by faith. We enjoy the kingdom by faith. When a child has a need, a want, an injury or a new skill 
that they've learned, something to be excited about, where do they go? Hey, Daddy, watch this. Hey, Dad, watch this. Or more often, Mom, Mom, Mama, Mommy, Mother. You've all heard that. Some of you heard it this morning 50,000 times getting ready to come to church. A child knows where its security is. A child has a holy trust in an adult to be able to do something or fix a situation. When a, when a little kid comes to an adult and they say, hey, can you help me? They, they fully trust and fully expect that you can actually do the thing. Now, what they don't know for us human being adults is that most days we finish and go, Phew. Another day where I finished like I pretended like I knew what I was doing. I mean, that's pretty much the way adulthood feels to me. It's like one day I'm going to wake up and feel like, okay, I am an adult now. I, it still hasn't happened. They don't understand that, but that's what children do. Warren Wiersbe says it like this. He's a lot smarter than me. Yes, God wants us to be childlike in faith, but not childish. That's a mouthful. God wants us to come to him in childlike faith, but not be childish. Big difference in those two things. And we're not chasing that rabbit about being childish today, but being a child of God doesn't mean that you act like a bratty, spoiled child. That's not what it means. It means you have a trust to have a childlike faith. We need to have a childlike faith. And, and why was Jesus so upset? It's not like this is the first time or the only time that the disciples mess up. They do it all the time. I mean, they're just regular dudes. They mess up all the time. So why is Jesus so upset right here at this moment, at this thing, at this time? Well, let's go back just a hair. Let's back it up just a little bit to Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. Love that sound. Page is flipping, turning. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. says, then they came to Capernaum, they being Jesus and the disciples. And a big crowd. And as soon as Jesus was inside the house, he asked his disciples, What were you arguing about on the way here? No one said a word because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Now think about the irony here. From our perspective now, we, we read that. And it's like these dudes were literally, like literally, not figured. They were literally walking and talking and eating and hanging out with the Son of God. And they want to know which one of them is greater than the other. What, what a silly waste of time that seems like from our perspective. And then, and then Jesus goes on in the next verse and gives the upside down principle of the kingdom of God. What, what is expected of his true believers, his followers, his true Believers, he says in verse 35, Jesus sat down, called the 12 disciples to come around him and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be content to be last and become a servant to all. Because we learn in Mark's gospel, we learn that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, right? That's the theme. Jesus as the servant. That's the theme throughout Mark's gospel. 
And here he is giving that principle. Hey, you guys are worried about being the greatest, and you're focusing on the wrong things. Look what I'm doing. I'm the son of God, and I'm here hanging out with you guys, is what I would have said. I'm here, and I'm serving people. He must be content to be last and become a servant to all. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus says, greatness to God is the one who puts others above and ahead of himself. He is content, content to be last and serve others. Not upset to be last and serve others. Not resentful to be last and to serve others. Not mad because they're behind the scenes and not getting any credit or recognition to serve others. No, content to be last and to become a servant of all, to serve others. Now, here we go. I didn't just back up here for no reason, okay? Here we go to today's message. Next, next verse. Then he had a child after he had just said this. Want to be great? Serve them. Then he had a child come and stand among them. He wrapped the child in his arms and said to them, them being the twelve, whoever welcomes a little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not only me, but the one who sent me. Jesus says, what do I mean to be a servant of all? What do I mean to, to be content, to be last, and to serve others? Here's what I mean. Welcome or accept or take in and be kind to. The word means all of that. Welcome, accept. To welcome someone, think about the little old lady that welcomes you into her house. It's not just a tip of the hat. Hey, welcome. Right? You know, what does it feel like to be welcome into someone's home that you've never been into before? I mean like really welcome, not like allowed to enter, but welcome. Like they come in and you're uncomfortable and things are uncomfortable, but she makes you sit down and she makes you get a drink and she makes you have a snack and she talks to you. You're welcomed. He said, that's what Jesus said. The one who welcomes a little child, not tolerates, welcomes, not tolerates. Take in, be kind to the child for my namesake's. My name's sake. If you're doing that for them, you're doing it for me. And not only me, but for God the Father who sent me to serve all mankind. And when you are serving others, you're doing the same thing for me and for God who sent me. And he sent me to pay a ransom for many. He sent me to serve a purpose. A purpose that no one else could. A purpose that no one else would. A purpose that no one else could would want to do even if they could. All those things. Welcome. Be concerned about. Take care of. To show kindness to. To do so in the name of Jesus means to do as he would do. To do so for his sake. To do so as a Christian. That's what it means to do it in his name. To do it because of Jesus. What does he say? He's saying accept the outcasts. Accept the oppressed. And when you do that, and you're doing it in this way, you're accepting both God and Jesus as you do that. The great, greatness in the kingdom consists of, consists of this, not of the position of the ministry. Greatness consists in service, not in the position that we take in ministry. Being here is no different or no greater than anything else that takes place in the kingdom. This is not the end all. This spot where I'm standing is not the end all be all of ministry. 
It's not. It's not what we should all aspire to. We should aspire to serve others well. For the Lord's sake. Right? This is, as, as uh, Brooks says in the New American Comedy, co- comedy, 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 come tell me, tell me, commentary, there we go. Brooks says, greatness in the kingdom consists not of position, but of ministry. Not in the status that you hold, but the fact that you're serving someone else. Luke Luke adds this detail when talking about this in his gospel, that for whoever, whoever is least among you, this one is great. He, he says that in his. Whoever who is least among you, this one is great. See, the disciples wanted to know who was in and who was out. The disciples wanted to know who is us and who is them. The disciples wanted to know who gets the credit and who gets the blame. Who gets notoriety and who gets left behind. And Jesus says, no. No. That's what the world does. Whoever is willing to serve the ones that nobody else cares about, like a little troubled child, this is the one who is doing great things for the kingdom of God. It's so antithetical to what the world says. The one who cares for the ones that nobody else cares about, even to this day, in Jesus' day, walking around, same thing. Same thing this day. There are people that society just overlooks. Doesn't really care about that much. And so that brings me to the fundamental question for today. The fundamental question that will probably get under your skin a little bit. What are you doing for the outcasts and the oppressed in the world? Now, I know those are loaded words, and I don't mean the way society and politicians and all them use those words. I mean the way they're actually meant to be. The people that are forgotten and the people that a system of sinful world doesn't allow to have a chance. That's what I mean. What are you doing or are you doing anything for these people? Now, what I'm about to say sounds like a preacher begging for help, but it's not. I'm going to say this on the front end. You can believe me or not. I'm not asking you for help. Because honestly, what I'm about to talk about, we don't need help. We have enough, we have enough help. Okay? And frankly, if you don't want to be here, I'd rather you keep you and your sorry attitude at the house than show up to be perfectly frank with everyone this morning. So with that said, let me catch you up for those that haven't been part of it. Wednesday, we had 173 kids here, K through 12. 100. And 73 kids here this past Wednesday. 170 the week before and 161 the week before that. You can see the trend. It's going this way. Which is a good thing. Here's the thing. Many of the kids that come here have not been given much of an opportunity to succeed in this world. In any way, shape, form, or fashion. They are what we would say fits the definition of oppressed of outcast, of overlooked, many of them. What if you came and picked one of them? Maybe the biggest troublemaker in the group. Trust me, it wouldn't take you long to figure out which one of those are. 
And you came and you picked out the biggest troublemaker in the group. And you, you just said, you know what? That one. Because we got enough help to make all the stuff we're doing work. All the stuff we're doing, we got enough help and it's working. It's fine. I'm not talking about making a program work. Okay? I'm talking about making a difference in someone's life. I'm just going to come and I'm going to hang out with that kid every Wednesday for the entire school year. And I'm just going to see what I can do with that. Because he says that if I serve those that are being overlooked, that I'm doing something great in his eyes. I'm, I'm just going to do that. That's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to see if God can change that kid's life through my tiny amount of obedience to come here and serve him. Now, I know this is going to interrupt precious activities of yours. You may have to skip, skip binging on Netflix for a night. You may have to put off mowing the yard for another day or two. The, yard, the grass is about to die anyway, so you can throw that one out the window. You might have to wait until a different time to swing your golf clubs. You might have to be a little tired on Thursdays at work. More than likely, you will be a little tired on Thursday at work. And I know you have a big, important job, and you're a big, important person, and you just need some time to relax and recover on Wednesday nights. But there's a kid here that needs you. Now, I can already hear some of you in your heads. I can't get here on Wednesdays. I have to work or whatever. I understand that. Listen, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm, I'm here trying to share what Jesus says matters to him and therefore should matter to us. So maybe you do have a job, but you can't get here on a Wednesday. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to just get you to plug into spots that we need people to make programs run. I'm not. We don't need that. Trust me. You can ask the the personnel committee, I mean the nominating committee, we've got the slots filled. There's like two left. That's not what I'm talking about. Here's an idea. We have someone that is a connected care foster champion right here in this church. She is the liaison between the Arkansas State Baptist Convention, connected foster care, and the local church. Her job is literally to help you learn how to help kids who don't have a chance. And most of us have plenty of time and resources to help these kids. But we're just going on about our daily lives. Living and letting live. And just acting like they're not there. But they are. They're there. And they need genuine believers of Jesus to start acting like genuine believers of Jesus. I get it. Serving is a sacrifice. And a sacrifice costs. That's why it's called a sacrifice. But I'm just wondering, when are the First Baptist Churches of America going to snap out of their comfortable coma and get serious about reaching people for Jesus and using their material blessings to fight suffering in the world for Jesus' name. 
That's all I'm wondering about. So yeah, with that in mind, chapter 9, what took place there, snap forward to chapter 10. Snap forward. Not much time has passed. Jesus has just given this illustration. He brought a kid in front of him and said, do it like this. Serve like this. Do this. Do this. This is what matters to me. This is what matters to God and the kingdom of God. He gives this illustration to the disciples. And they don't have the patience for the kids. They don't, have to, they don't have the time to be bothered by the least of these. They don't want to be bothered in their precious little Jesus circle that they've got going on. They've got this beautiful little Jesus circle and we don't have time for these meddling kids. And yes, Jesus was indignant with them saying, I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's why Jesus is so mad. He's just explained it to them. Just probably a few days before, maybe a week, maybe a month, but not very long. He's, he's just said that these are the ones that matter to me, and then they get the opportunity to show these ones that they matter, and they rebuke them. So yeah, Jesus was hot. He was mad. If you don't welcome the kingdom of God like a little child, you will never enter it. Whoever does not come to me with the humility and trust that a child has in, a, in an adult's ability to fix something will not see my kingdom because they only want to build their kingdom. So Jesus gets mad. He explains the truth to them again and then we'll go to verse 16. After he's ripped them, he says... After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus grabs up each and every child that was there. And there's no telling how many were there. Every one of them that had been brought to him. No telling how long this took. He places his hands on them and he blesses them. What does it mean to bless them? Does it mean he gave them some supernatural power to make it through life? Is that what it means to be blessed by God? Or to be blessed in general at all? Do you know that you can bless someone else? Do you know that we can bless God? It simply means that he gave them kind, encouraging words. That's what it means to bless someone. He gave them kind, encouraging words. Do you know that you can alter someone's life for the good or for the bad with nothing but your words? Your words can alter someone's life for the good or for the bad. Blessings and cursings. The wrong words said the wrong way that are hateful and discouraging can cause negative emotions and negative decisions and negative outcomes in someone's life. Things like, you little idiot. You're so mean. You never do anything right. I don't even know why I waste my time on you. Those aren't things I've made up. Those are things I've heard. Out and about. Sometimes I have to catch myself before I get publicly indignant. You say stuff like that long enough and they're eventually going to start believing it. And living it out for you. 
But the right words said from a loving heart, kind, encouraging words said with the intent to bless will do just that. Bless. Words, words said with thankfulness and gratefulness. Kind, encouraging words like, you're special to me. You are a gift from God. I'm so thankful that God chose me to be your dad. I'm so thankful that God chose me to be your husband. I'm so thankful that God made us friends. I'm so thankful that God gave me this job where I get to come and see you every day. I'm so thankful that you're my coworker. I'm so thankful that you're my boss. I can't, I can't believe I get the privilege of seeing you do these wonderful things. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that I get to witness you take the opportunities to treat people well and to treat them kind. It makes me so proud. You take the same person, you speak the negative or the positive into them, and it will change the outcome of their life. Blessings and cursings shouldn't come out of the same mouth, James says. Makes a difference. You say, I know God has a special plan for you, one to prosper you and to make a way for you. You bless someone when you talk to them like that. And Jesus did that. He blessed each and every child, one by one, that were brought to him. And I guarantee you it changed them. I guarantee you it did. You can't hear a word from God and it not change you. You can't hear a word from God and it not change you. You can't come here and us speak about the word of God and it not change you. It's either going to rip open your heart and draw you closer to him, or it's going to harden your heart and push you further away. But it's going to change you. You can't come in here and be indifferent to God's word. And neither could they when Jesus spoke a blessing over them. So, have you ever come to Jesus like a child? Have you ever come to Jesus like a child, like a child trusting in the adult he's coming to, to have the answers and the ability to make something better. Here, help me with this. You're bigger than me, so you must have the answer and the ability to fix this. That's what he's saying. Come to me. Come to Jesus like, Jesus, I can't fix this sin condition. Can you fix it for me? And Jesus would say, yeah, you bet. That's why God the Father sent me, was to fix this sin condition for you and for others. Have you come to Jesus because you have a sin condition that you can't fix without him. If you haven't, then do so today. Come up during this last song and let us know that you're doing that so we can celebrate it with you. That would be awesome. If you have done that, are you living to be a blessing? Are you living to be a blessing? A blessing to God and a blessing to others. Here's the way Jesus said it. Matthew 25. And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So what do I do, preacher? A lot of words. What do you want me to do? I don't want you to do anything. God wants you to do something. <laughs> what should I do? Well, the verses preceding these verses say, find someone thirsty. Give them a drink. Find someone hungry, give them something to eat. Find someone naked and give them clothes. 
and call us so we can, no, don't call us. That would be kind of funny, but find someone, find someone that's not accepted and invite them in and welcome them in to your friend group, to your church group, to whatever it is. Find, find the outcast. Find someone in prison and visit them, Jesus says. And not all prisons are jail cells. Some are. It, it might just be the little old lady down the street that feels like her house is a prison and she just needs you to swing by and give her an encouraging word. A blessing. Be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. Jesus saved you to do something. Not to sit on our rear ends and do nothing. You are blessed to be a blessing. Not to live in comfort and luxury. Say that one more time. You are blessed to be a blessing, not to live in comfort and luxury. And it bothers me just as much as it bothers you, I can promise you. Because comfort and luxury are enjoyable. And they're not always bad. But it's bad if it's the only thing. If the only thing we do is sit back in comfort and luxury while lost and dying sinful world going to hell right around us, what are we doing? We're blessed to be blessings. We need to get serious about doing it. And there's plenty of opportunity right here in this local church to do it. You can go right through that door at the end and say, I don't know, I don't know, understood what he meant about the connected foster care or something or other kids that need help, but I need more information. Right back there. You'll get connected with somebody that can help you with that. We need to get serious about it. Father God, <clears throat> wake us up. Wake us up, Lord, to the work that is around you. Wake us up to the need that is, that is around us. Wake us up to the, to the things that we could be doing that could be changing everything around us, God. Lord, may we, may we look for those that the world doesn't care about. May we look for those that, that you do care about. May we do something about it, Lord. Don't let us be content to just show up to church and be entertained and enjoy hanging around with each other. Don't let us be content with that, Lord. Don't let us be content with that, to be stuck in this rat race of, of, of worldly living. Wake us up to get serious about the needs that are around us. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for saving me and saving everyone that's placed faith in you, God. Thank you that you take away sin and give us the gift of eternal life, the blessing of eternity. Thank you for that, God. May we never, ever, ever take that for granted. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.